chapter number 11. We want to look at a chapter that talks about having trust and confidence in God. And we'd like to teach on the question, what is faith? We, we may have different ideas about that, and I hope that out of these passages this evening that maybe we can show you something about faith that's a little bit different than what you've considered before. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So the question we're teaching on is, what is faith? Let's, Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful that we have an opportunity to fellowship with people that love you. And now, as we take a few moments to look into the scriptures, which is a mirror, and it gives us the reflection of your son, but it also reveals our our blemishes, deficiencies, problems in in, in our life, Lord. We pray that you give us the ability to see those, and at the same time, Lord, uh, cause us to, to grow in grace and in knowledge. We're so grateful that you so loved the world you gave your only begotten son. We're glad that eternal life is available to any that appropriated by faith. God, we honor you tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Of course, when we talk about faith, a synonym would be belief or trust, some kind of confidence. People very often are looking for definitions about what it is to believe God, and if you listen to radio and to television, you will hear ministers very often offer different kinds of examples of what it means to rely on God. But verse 1 here in this epistle is important because it is a continuation of everything that we say Paul has been saying in chapter 10. So if you look at the final two verses of chapter 10, you can see in verse 8 it says, The just shall live by faith. So faith has to do with a lifestyle. Faith is the instrumental means by which you live the Christian life, and we're going to see that clearly in chapter 11. In fact, in verse 38, it says, If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So he's showing you that in this relationship with God, from time to time, there have been people who have made a decision that rather than going on with God, I'm going to go the opposite direction. And that's not a good thing. We learned in the scripture that it says we shouldn't forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some people are. But so much the more as we see the day of the Lord coming, we should encourage one another to go on with the Lord. So if I perceive that you look like you're growing weak in your faith and you're wanting to give up on God or you become offended with God and suddenly you don't want to read your Bible anymore, you don't want to fellowship with Christians anymore, it's at that point that we as believers, as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God, we should do what we can to get up underneath your arms like Moses had on the mountaintop in the Old Testament and lift your arms up to help you remain strong in your walk with God. Scripture says in verse 38 of chapter 10, you're going to live by faith. Your Christian life will be lived according to what you believe. Now, why is that important? It's important, as we're going to see in chapter 11, behavior and belief go together. Behavior and belief go together. You cannot separate what a person believes from what they, how they behave. If you say to someone, well, Scripture says you shouldn't do that. They'll say, well, I don't see it that way. That's their way of saying, I don't believe that. Since they're saying they don't believe that, their actions correspond to what they believe. 
So they follow in their lifestyle the principles that they believe the scripture says are right or the principles they say are wrong. And all of us are that way. Look at chapter 11, verse 1 again. Faith is a substance. This means that faith is a, is a, it's a tangible, it's an evidence, it's a reality of something that abides in your heart. I cannot see faith in your heart with my natural eye, but I can see faith manifested by how you live. Because the just will live by faith. And the scripture says faith without action or works is dead. That's what James says. This is not talking about how you become a Christian. This is just talking about the Christian life of, of trust and reliance upon God. It said it's the substance of things hoped for. So there's a difference between faith and hope. Hope has to do with the future. Faith has to do with right now. If I say, like many people were saying last week as they were sitting down watching the television looking for their favorite candidate, they were saying, I'm hopeful that my candidate will win. See, that means that it hadn't happened yet. See, hope has to do with a belief that is angled toward the future. Whereas in Mark 11, it says if we're going to believe, we pray and we believe that we receive. So faith then says, Father, I'm praying and I'm asking you to save my son, my brother, my grandmother, and I'm believing that you're doing it now. And that's what faith is, is doing. And, and if a person says, I'm hopeful that things will work out tomorrow. Again, we're dealing with the future. The scripture says here that it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, in another place, the scripture says, why do you hope for something that you already possess? If you go into a grocery store and you're going to purchase $200 worth of groceries, if you have $200 in your pocket, you don't have to believe God that you'll have the money when you get to the cash register. But if someone sends you down to the grocery store to purchase something for them and they say to you that when you get to the cashier, say to so-and-so, put it on this person's bill. You're hopeful, okay, okay, you're hopeful that you can do that. And if you want to, Next time you're down there at Steve's grocery store, you just say, I want to put this on Darren Neff's account <laughs> and, and, and go from there. OK, so verse two then says it is it says by it, the elders obtained a good report and it refers to faith. By faith, the elders obtained a good report card. Well, we all like that, a good witness, a good, strong witness. And when we were growing up, all of us wanted to receive good marks for our behavior in school. At least I hope you did. I did, and I, I would bring my little report card home to my mom and, and dad, and of course, you know, when, when I was little, they gave you O's for outstanding, E's for excellent, you could get an S for satisfactory, and, and that alphabetical letter that John was so familiar with, that U for unsatisfactory. So I, I'd come home, and, and I'd have this report card, and then it would have all these letters on there. And, and so I'd go to my mom and my dad, and I'd say, here, here's my report card, and I'd shove it in my dad's face because I'm hoping he's going to reach into his pocket and give me some money back for a good report card. And my dad, he always had to explain to me, you're not getting good grades from me. You're getting good grades for you. You're demonstrating that you, you can develop habits that are going to help you in life, and this has to do with your behavior, you see. Well, if the elders, if they obtained a good report, that means somebody had to be keeping a record. And that's what God does. And the scripture says that, that one day we'll all stand before the Lord and give an account for the things that are done in this body. If there's going to be a day of reckoning for how we have behaved, somebody has to be keeping a record. If the scripture says there is a book of life with names in it, and whosoever's name is not found in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast into held, which will be cast into the lake of fire, then if there's a book, then somebody's got to be keeping a record. And if somebody's keeping a record, then that obviously means that God is interested in how humans behave here on planet Earth. And if you skip down to verse number six real fast, you'll see where it says in the first sentence, without faith it's impossible to please him. 
So it's, it's important for you to believe not only that God exists, but that God actually wants to be a blessing to you, yeah. have a relationship with you. The elders obtained a good report. Now, we're going to find out about some of these elders, but we have to begin with verse 3. It tells us now, it shows us faith as an instrument or as a means of, of access to the knowledge of God. Through faith, we understand. Believing in God gives you the ability to understand how God made this world. Keep a finger here and go to Genesis chapter 1. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. If by chance you run into the book of Revelation, you're going in the wrong direction. Genesis 1. This is very interesting. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 1 gives us a lot of information. It tells us there was a beginning. So that's important. And then it tells us who it is that made, and we got two spheres that are mentioned, heaven and earth. Then we learn that in the midst of all of this darkness, the Spirit of God was moving and at work. Now, most people who struggle with creation struggle with verse 1. In the beginning, God created. If you don't have a problem with verse 1, verse 2 is not going to be much of a problem for you. But anybody who struggles with verse 1 is going to have a problem with verse 2 and then a problem with verse 3 because verse 3 then tells us how God made everything. He spoke a word. He gave a command. He said, let there be, and suddenly the appearance of light came. Then it goes right on down explaining everything else in creation. Now, now Paul says in Hebrews chapter 11, he says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So this is a knowledge that comes by believing in Scripture and by believing in God. The Scripture in Genesis does not argue for the existence of God. It starts off, verse 1, with the assumption there is a God. It doesn't start trying to make any claims or, or trying to produce any evidences to you to try to help you understand that even though you're an atheist and you don't believe in God, we want you to see that there is a God. He, the, the author of Genesis is not arguing in that way. He's just simply said, here is God. Here's what he made. Here is how he did it. You either accept it or reject it. And Hebrews 11:3 says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So you wonder sometimes why it is that some people do not believe in the creation story. Well, remember what Hebrew says. It is by faith that the understanding comes. Now, now think about that. <clears throat> there have been a number of different ways that people have tried to argue for the existence of God. Some people in medieval times held the opinion that the fact that a human can conceive the word God and of someone like God, that obviously must mean there's someone greater than that human in order for that thought to even be there. So that was one argument they had in medieval times. And uh, there was a man named Anselm who was big on that in medieval times. Another argument people had for God was basically the idea that if you have an effect, you've got to have a cause. So how in the world can something be in motion without something having previously moved it in the first place? And since in this world, we have things that are constantly in motion, whether we're talking about orbit or whether we're talking about people walking or whether we're talking about the beating of a heart, there has to be a cause to all of that. So people have always argued, since the earth is not eternal... And unless you believe the earth is eternal, then you have to believe at some point in history the thing was made. So Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning. So there had to be some kind of a beginning. 
Another argument that people make for the existence of God is the argument of um, design. Maybe you've heard of William Paley's main argument. He said, suppose a gentleman was walking along the beach and he came upon a watch and he picked the watch up and noticed that the workmanship was marvelous. He said, obviously, the watch could not have got there on its own and it, the hands couldn't be moving on its own. So it's the product of an intelligent design. Because even if the waters washed all kinds of things up on the shore over time, it never could wash up on the shores a watch. So that was one of the, the, the main arguments that was used to argue for the existence of God by, by means of design. Well, well, think about it, though. If, if you were walking along the, the beach and you suddenly saw a, a beautiful sandcastle and somebody spent a whole lot of time on it, you probably wouldn't believe, well, the tide has come in 15 or 20 times and the tide probably created that. You wouldn't believe that. you think somebody had to make it. And it's the same thing with us. The, the, the people in the Bible, however people describe it today, when I, when I listen to them talking about creation, I do know this. That when I read the Psalms, particularly Psalm 19, when I read the Psalms, it's obvious they believe God made the heavens and the earth. They said the heavens declare the glory of God. And none of them believed that the process was over billions of years. They just simply believed the worlds were framed by the spoken word of God. So the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's said to be written by Moses. If Moses took the word of God and wrote it down as God gave it to him, he gave to posterity and to the Jewish people the manner in which the earth was created. Then, after Moses died, Joshua died, the judges came, the kings came along, and David and them began to write and talk about things and sing songs in the temple. They sang about the God who made all things in the beginning, and they sang about him as though he really did make them. Yeah. And when the prophets began to write, and you read Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the rest of them going throughout Malachi, you'll notice over and over again they talk about God and his power. One of the prophets even says, it's God that by his word he has set the boundaries for the waters. You can go anywhere on this planet and the tide is only going to come in so far and then it's going right back out. Unless there's some kind of natural upheaval that leads to some kind of destruction. It's coming in so far and then it's going back out and it's coming in and it's going back out. And it's a cycle. There's something in God's word that holds everything together. That's what the scripture said. And according to Hebrews 11 verse 3, it's through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So I don't argue with atheists about this whole story of creation because I understand it's beyond their ability to comprehend because they do not possess here a faith in him. It's like standing in the darkness and you're trying to explain to somebody about light and they've never seen light before or the kind of light you're describing. So this is what, what he's saying. So the things that are seen are not made of things which do appear. God was able with words to create things. So what is faith? Faith is the ability to understand the creation of God. I'll give you another illustration. I cannot remember this gentleman's name, but he's dead now. But he was a, a, a professor world-famous atheist, and years ago when Tiffany was going to college up at Hastings College, uh, he came and spoke there. Now, I've got a book at home about this thick of some of his collected writings. Sometimes I kind of like to read behind some of these people to see how it is that they describe the coming into being of things. And, of course, his, his big thing was you know, Darwin was, was brilliant and Darwin was smart. He says that all things came from a single germ cell. and Just life sprang forth, which is a very interesting concept to have. You know, 
And, that, and, and I read behind all of that, and I looked at that, and by the time I went through about 40 or so pages of that, and with all of this technical languages, trying to explain uh, how protoplasm is transmuted and changed, I, I thought to myself, it is simpler to believe that God made the heavens and the earth. Yeah. See, when, when you have faith in God... Life is simplified. The Bible speaks about the simplicity of the gospel. When you don't have faith in God, you have to complexify everything. And you make it harder and harder and harder. And in trying to make it very difficult to understand how things came into being, we, we, we think we're reasoning God out of the process, but we're becoming illogical. That's what's happening. Just don't even make any sense at all. And this is what we have in, in the world today when I hear people trying to describe these things. I'm not a geologist, okay? I'm not a physicist. I can't tell you how old a rock is or anything like that. I'm not going to argue with people how old they think the earth is. I am going to tell them this. He made it, okay? I'm certain of that. He made it. Look at verse 4. Still working on the question, what is faith? Abel is going to teach us here that faith has to do with how we give. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. This is comparative. The phrase, a more excellent sacrifice, that's comparative. That means it's possible to give something better or something worse. You can give greater or lesser. Abel offered to God his sacrifice, and God wasn't pleased with him because what he gave him was better than what Cain offered, Abel's approach to God was better than Cain's approach to God. Scripture says Cain was of that wicked one. Cain had a problem in here. And when you have a problem in here and you're trying to approach God, it's very difficult for God to be pleased with you. The scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. What's the opposite of that? He doesn't like cheerful, uncheerful givers. Abel was quite happy to come to the Lord and to, to render unto him the first fruits of his harvest in what he had reaped from the ground. Cain likely didn't want to give to God, wasn't interested in God. And because of his jealousy with his brother, he was out in the field. And the book of Genesis says he rose up and killed his own brother. Now, now let's remember, up until that point, no human had ever died. And when we think of sacrifices... The only bloodshed he would have known of would have been the death of an insect, the death of an animal. But he, there hadn't been any human bloodshed. So to spill the blood of your own kin, you, you would have to have some problems. And Cain did. He killed his own brother. And later when the Lord came to him, he said, uh, Cain, have you, you seen your brother? And you know what Cain said. Well, well what? What am I, his keeper? We think I'm his babysitter now? And, 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 the, and the Lord said, well, his blood is crying out to me from the ground. And, you know, Cain, he wasn't happy with that. I mean, goodness, if, if, if he's talking to you while he's dead, why are you asking me where he is? So Cain was just a person that was disturbed, had a lot of problems. And as the scripture says in the New Testament, he was of the devil. That's what happened. He, he was of the devil. He was of that wicked one. So Cain then had a mark placed upon him by the Lord. And you know the scripture says that Cain uh, was not killed by anybody because he had that mark on people. Just they didn't bother him. Now, I'll go ahead and answer this question that comes up all the time. When Cain left the presence of the Lord and Adam and Eve are there and Abel is dead and you only got Cain now, where in the world did Cain get a wife? Because it says Cain went off and had a wife. Well, let's, let's always remember that the genealogy in Genesis gives us the names of the sons of Adam. We do not have the names of their daughters. As the world was populated and mankind was growing in number, we have no record of the names of the ladies. So it doesn't mean Cain went out and married somebody 30 minutes later, okay? This was sometime, sometime in, the, in the future. 
But, but here's the thing. Verse 4 is teaching us that faith has to do with how you give. God was pleased with Abel because God gave to Abel out of a good heart, but he was unhappy with Cain because of what Cain kept back. What did Cain keep back? Cain kept back a cheerful spirit. He was selfish. Jesus tells the story of the woman in the temple, very poor woman. She cast in two mites. Scripture says Jesus was watching her. And he said to his disciples, watch that lady right there. She has put in all of her living and out of her poverty, out of her lack. She's given more than all of the wealthy people over there. She gave all that she had. The Lord looks at how we give. We, we're impressed sometimes if we give $5, give $20, give $1,000, give $10,000. But God, God doesn't just look at what we give. God looks at what we keep back. Because you take someone who's extremely poor, poor. It's hard to use the word poor here in America because the poorest people here in America very often have more than the poor people overseas. Poorest people here in America, they have three dogs, two cell phones, satellite, underground cable going throughout the house, nice car, and all kind of things like that. But, but here's what I'm getting at. The, the person who doesn't make a whole lot of money, let's say they make $20,000 a year or less, and, and, and someone in the community's house burns to the ground, and people are giving special offerings to help them replenish what they have. So here's somebody makes less than $20,000, and they give $100 they probably could use every one of those dollars to pay some bills. But then there's somebody else over here that makes seven-figure income, okay? And they have a lot of cash. And they, and they give, let's say they give $200. Well, do you understand that the one gave to the point that it hurt and the other gave and was quite happy to give and the people were happy to receive it, but the way God sees it is still different, you see? Still different. The ability and the, the, the manner in which it happens. So verse number four in Hebrews 11 teaches us that if you're going to have faith in God, be a giver. Yeah. So this is why Christians all over the world tithe. Anybody ever heard that word before? Tithe. Yes, tithe. How much is a tithe? What percentage is that? Anybody know? Ten percent. 10% of anything I earn, anything I find, anything that's given to me, anything I inherit goes to God. 10%. 10%. Now, we, we always want to remember in, in considering giving to the Lord, and this is something my wife and I, we've always practiced uh, since, since we've been married, the tithe is not even included in our budget. It's not even included. We have to function off of the 90%. That's how, that's how we operate. And even within the 90%, we still have offerings. Okay, so as, as, as another example, I preach in three places. Three places. Here, Red Cloud, and Friend. So that means what I receive here we tithe here. What I receive in friend, we tithe there. What we receive in red cloud, we tithe there. You see? And wherever you worship, wherever is home for you, you should ensure that you are a faithful tither because you're simply saying to God, thank you for all that you've given to me. I'm just giving it back. And then you have other occasions in your life where you have opportunities to give offerings. There's always something that, that, that comes up as, you know, always some preacher or somebody pulling on you for something about Kenya or anything, you know, just always something. Okay, look at verse 5, Hebrews 11, verse 5. We've seen that faith has to do with how we give. Now I want you to see faith has to do also with our lifestyle. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And then that last sentence, he pleased God. That was his testimony. Enoch lived in the generation prior to Noah, previous to Noah. And 
You'll remember what the Lord said about Noah's generation. It was very wicked. Very, very wicked. But Enoch, who lived, according to scripture, a long time, several hundred years, he lived long enough to still have memories and relations with Adam, possibly Eve, and the other ones that lived a long time. You know, you've got to go through Genesis count of the years to see how all of this works out. But, but here's the thing. He lived in a generation where there were people that were not serving God. People were absolutely wicked, but he made the determination, I don't care how everybody else acts, I'm serving God. We don't hear about his wife. We don't hear about whether or not his kids were serving God. It just simply says, this man had this testimony, and this is the testimony we should all want, that he pleased God. That's what we should desire. Now, we live in a world today where pleasing God is not that important to people, but it should be important to us. And serving God is serious business. It's not a joke. It's, it's something that's so important that any one of us tonight could lay our head on our pillow and not wake up tomorrow morning. That's how serious it is. It's, it's such a responsibility laid on our shoulders that the scripture says, follow me as I follow Christ. Somebody may find their way to heaven because of how you live, or somebody could be misled and find their way to another place because of your, your steps, your actions, your speech. Little children mimic adults. You see little boys, they, 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 they start getting older. They want to be just like dad. And pretty soon they're winding around trying to put on cowboy boots. They're stumbling all over the place, but they're trying to put them on. And, and then the little girls, when they're getting older, pretty soon, here they are three and four years old, and they're trying to get in mom's heels. There's this imitation factor that, that's in us. And, and having the right kind of models are important. So the scripture says for the older women and for the older men be examples to the younger women and to the younger men. But how can we be examples if we don't know how we're supposed to live? So I'm trying to tell you what faith is. Faith is not just saying I believe in God. Faith is living this every day. Faith is living this Monday through Monday, 24 hours a day. Faith is you uh, when you're getting ready to go to bed, it's you praying with your family, praying with your spouse. It's you starting your day, taking the scriptures out and renewing your mind with a few verses because you don't know what the coming day is going to bring. You may be working with any kind of a devil and you may need some verses that you can count on, something that you can meditate on and think about. Faith is you going down the road and playing gospel music and washing your mind with the word and encouraging yourself and creating an atmosphere of praise. That's what faith is. And, and faith is something that you have to cultivate the same way you cultivate a garden because you're dealing with your heart. And what you sow into this heart, you'll get the fruit out of that. So whether it's uh, the children we see as a garden or a congregation that we see as a garden, or our own heart, which we see as a garden. It all has to be seeded the right way and the right things placed in it. How could a man like Enoch walk with God unless Enoch had seen someone else walking with God? It may have been Adam and Eve. I'd like to think that Adam and Eve haven't had the memory of living in Eden and being the only two people on the planet other than the Lord Jesus Christ to ever live and experience perfection. I like to think when they were put out of the garden that they said, we probably need to do it right this time and obey what God said. Yeah, He told us when we were in that garden not to eat of the fruit of that tree, and we did, and look at us out here now. The ground is cursed. We're out here trying to farm and till the ground that's cursed and trying to get ahead, and we've got nothing but problems. It's yielding thistles and thorns. It's amazing we haven't starved to death. It's the grace, grace of God <clears throat> that's keeping us alive out here. Yeah, Adam could have got angry, you know, at his wife, because remember, she, she ate of the fruit and gave it to him. She he could have said, woman, you've eaten us out of house and home. Look at us. But somewhere along the line, Enoch had a model of someone that served God, and he 
he continued it. Now, when I, when I think in my own life of some of the examples that I've had, uh, some of the best examples I've had of Christian people, they weren't popular preachers. They were just everyday people. There was a lady when I was in the Marine Corps, when I was stationed in Jacksonville, North Carolina, a lady we, we used to call her Mother Washington. Because when I was in the church in Jacksonville, I was only I was 19 years old. There were seven other preachers in the church other than me, and I was the youngest. And my pastor was about 49, had me about 30 years. And so since I was the youngest, they all called me baby, you know. And this, this, this one little road in Jacksonville is called Piney, Piney Green. And on Piney Green Road, this country road, most of the families all go to the same church, and most of them are all related. Brothers, sisters, grandparents, and, and all of that. So I had a habit on Saturday, if I wasn't working, I would just park my car in somebody's yard on Piney Green, and then I'd just walk up and down the street a mile and a half visiting all the families. You know, when you're single, and you're 19, and you're hungry, and everybody cooks good, and you're military, you do that. So that's... That's how I spent my weekends. Well, Mother Washington lived in this small little two-room house with a little bathroom on the back, and she was in her late 80s then. She never, ever complained one time about living in that tiny little place. Now, mind you, she could look right out her door and see her daughter's big, huge brick house right there, but she was content with the little place that she had, and I'd go in there, and she'd have that wood-burning stove going. And as soon as i come through the door, Mother Washington would say, okay, we're going to have a word of prayer. And she said, I'm going I'm to fix the baby some food. That's what she said, going to fix the baby some food. So, so then I'd sit down, and, and as slow as she moved, can you just imagine her moving around the house like this, going from the fridge to the stove, and I have to sit there waiting for her to make the food. She'd always find some bear meat, She'd always find some raccoon or something. And she'd fix me some rice and she'd have some gravy and then she'd put all that stuff on there and then she'd feed me and she just got tickled to death just watching me eat all of that. But, but here was a lady, never one time complained. And I would hear her tell stories about growing up as a sharecropper there in North Carolina, how difficult it was. She'd tell me stories about her grandparents being slaves and all of that but always happy and always encouraged. But, but here's what I'm getting at. That's just one example of a saint that I know that loved God who, who modeled a lifestyle for me that I would want to imitate, and I'm sure you've got people like that in your memory. Grandparents or mothers and fathers and people who, who have lived the kind of life where you said, oh my, I just, I just hope I can be like that, you know. That's a good thing to have. That's what faith is. Look at verse number six. Scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, we, we forget that. It's impossible to please him. There are many people who try to please God without trust and reliance upon him. There are people who believe they please God without even believing in him. Yeah. Man, one time in Saudi Arabia, an underground church wanted to jump on me because I was teaching in the underground church. And I said, according to 1 Corinthians 15, if you don't believe in the resurrection... You're not a Christian. This man jumped up, and he was a, he was a, a gym teacher there at the uh, local school. We were on American Compound in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. This man got up and was angry with me. He said, I don't believe Jesus was literally and bodily raised from the dead, and I'm a Christian. I said, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please him. Scripture says if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. He said, do you want to step outside? He said that to me. I said, no, I, I wasn't interested in going outside with him at all, not because I was afraid. I just, I just didn't want to go out there and, 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 and end up in jail hurting somebody, you know. He said, no, we don't want to go outside. What's going outside going to, what's that going to solve? You, you don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead. So even after you, you tussle with me, you're still not going to please God. You understand? Yeah. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. The one that comes to God must believe that he is. What's the point of coming to the Lord if you're going to say, I believe you're God, but I don't believe you have a son? Mm -hmm. 
Muslims say that. They say, well, yeah, we believe in Allah. We believe in God, but we don't believe he has a son. In fact, if you look at the postcards over in Israel and they have the dome on the rock, when, uh, when, I, when I lived in Israel and used to go to Hebrew school, we'd spend a lot of time in the Arab quarter, me and some of my friends. We like to go on the, the Arab side because you could shop and buy a lot of good stuff at a good price. But we'd always go up on the top, the Temple Mount. We'd go on the Arab side because that's where the Dome of the Rock was at. And, and you could, I mean, you know, it was a lot more freer over there than on the Jewish side. But on the, the Dome of the Rock, it has that gold cap on it, and that's real gold. And then all around it, it has this beautiful Arabic calligraphy. Now, what most people don't know, and I would not have ever known had I not studied Arabic in Jordan for two years, is that that calligraphy going around the Dome of the Rock says, it quotes a verse out of the Koran that says that God is not a God who is begotten, nor is he a God who has a son that was begotten. So you have a testimony of the Dome of the Rock going all around Israel for everybody to see, and it acknowledges that God does not have a son. Scripture here says, The one that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, I know what he did give. He so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He did. So this is why we have always said in the Middle East, even if it has angered some people, that Christians and Muslims do serve different gods. Our God so loved the world he gave his son who died on the cross to redeem us. The Muslim's God does not have a son, and according to their own book, Jesus was not crucified, but somebody died in his place. He was taken to heaven supernaturally. Well, folks, it's these kind of things that separate believers from unbelievers. When the scripture here says, without faith it's impossible to please him, I wonder how much of this goes on today in the world. People honestly believe they're pleasing God, and they're not. So I spoke at a FCA years ago. I was down in, I won't even name the town, I was down in Kansas. And... The people, the adults came out, a lot of the high school seniors, sports figures were there that morning. So I gave my teaching for them to encourage them. And then afterwards, uh, one of the adults, one of the kids, they, they had a question. And I said, well, go ahead, ask the question. If I can answer it, I'll try to answer it. They said, well, what are we supposed to do? We were, we were in a church, in the basement of a church at the time. So what are we supposed to do right here in this church here? When, when we graduate from school, the pastor gives out a Koran as a graduation gift. Okay? Well, I was tactful. And you want to be nice in the way you try to handle that. But, uh, you know, as soon as you get outside on the sidewalk, you say, if I were you, I'd saturate that place with my absence. And, and, and you want to be somewhere where, where God is, without faith it's impossible to please him. But you could never tell that preacher or that pastor that he is not pleasing God. Because they honestly believe that's what faith is. Faith for him is to give the book of another religion. God says faith for him is to live for him, to promote him, to endorse what he does. Let's look at this last verse and here's where we'll stop. Verse 7. It then goes on to say that by faith, Noah, he was warned of God of things not seen as yet. Noah had, he knew because of God's word that judgment was coming. But he had no idea what the judgment was going to be like. We don't have a record in the book of Genesis of judgment on this scale coming in a previous generation. So he didn't have anything to identify this with. And Genesis 2 talks about a period of time where there hadn't even been any rain. There was like a mist coming up out of the ground, maybe some kind of a dew that, that watered the earth. So I, I say that to say, I don't know whether or not it had rained before the flood came or whether it was the first time 
Noah had ever seen any rain. The only thing I do know is when God told him judgment is coming, this generation is wicked. Here are the dimensions of the ark. You get to building and you start. And the Bible says his generation was so wicked, God could only find eight people to save. Now, that's pretty bad. And then Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last day. So what do you think our generation is like? Look at it today. Scripture says broad is the way that leads to life, narrows the way, excuse me, broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrows the way that leads to life. I'm embarrassed to tell you that of all of the people every Sunday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday throughout the week that go to church in America, it wouldn't surprise me at all if probably only three out of 20 of them really love God. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that's not include you folks. I'm just saying there, there's, there's so much in this world right now that is given, given over to vain imaginations, evil conceptions as it was in Noah's day. Look at the kind of uh, movies that come out, the kind of books that authors write. You wonder sometimes when you read the flyleaf of some of the books on the uh, shelves in the marketplace, how could anybody even dream up something like this? You know? And the Lord said to Noah, uh, Judgment is coming. You build this ark. Now, Peter tells us Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So that means while he was swinging the axe or the hammer or whatever instruments he had, he's also preaching, telling people, you need to serve God. You need to turn your life around and get right with God. And it's obvious they didn't believe in him because he was doing this for at least 100 years. You talk about patience. With every piece of wood this man put in place, God's Patience and love was in manifestation. And the scripture says here, with the ark, he condemned the world. How did he condemn the world? He told the people, I'm, I'm doing this because something bad is coming. Well, Noah, you've been saying that for 30 years now. And it had to happen. <laughs> I mean, as wicked as they were after Adam and Eve got kicked out and judgment hadn't come yet. You really think something bad is going to happen? He ain't did nothing in Methuselah's day. Enoch didn't see anything bad. You really believe, Noah, that something bad is going to happen. Noah just kept preaching, and he kept swinging that axe, and he kept building that ark. What is he doing? Working out his soul's salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he's doing. But then one day it started to rain, and, and uh, God told Noah and his family, you get on the inside of that ark. The Lord shut them in. And I mean, Noah and his family, they're in there, they're having a good time. They're saying, this is the day, oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. And, and that rain is coming down, and it's coming down, and that ark isn't moving at all. But at some point, that thing started doing this here. Okay? Now, now imagine this. We've seen out here what happens when we get a tornado and it brings all that rain in, 15 inches. And that's usually only if the whole thing lasts several hours or maybe half a day. Mm -hmm. And we've seen where if it rains three or four days out here and it's whether it's a slow rain or it's a steady pounding, the best built houses sometimes end up with water in the basement. Imagine 40 days, 40 nights of a torrential downpour. That ark that nobody had any idea what was going to, the reason it was going to exist or the reason it was going to be built, that that ark became the means of condemnation for a multitude of people. As Noah and his family are on the inside, I bet you as the water level started Going up and the ark started floating. I guarantee you there were people running to that thing, banging on that and beating on it, saying, please let us in, please let us in. Yeah. Because when it's all over, that, that, that flood level was so, so high that, that there's nobody left alive. I'm telling you, folks, there's no infant in a cave somewhere. There's no grandma hanging from a branch of a tree. Everything is dead. Noah opens up that window, sends the bird out, and the bird goes out. The bird doesn't have anywhere to land. Even the bird gets tired. So I've got to go back to the ark. There's nowhere to even rest around here. 
Finally, the waters recede. The bird goes out and doesn't return. That's when Noah and them realize, okay, it's safe to go out. But when he stepped out there, it was a totally new world. It didn't even look the same anymore. You say, why not? Because there's nobody left but him and his family, according to the Bible. So just like Adam and Eve started the human race, now Noah and his family have to start all over again. So the same way all of us come from Adam and Eve, we also all come from Noah and his sons and his wife. And this man did this simply because he believed what God said. Imagine if he'd have been like the other people who didn't believe. You know what he would have did? He would have perished. So what do you believe tonight? If Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. When you hear people mocking your Savior and they're talking about Christ, whether it's on a sitcom or on a radio program or on your job, and they're mocking your faith in the Lord and they're saying you're superstitious and religion is a crutch and religion has to be created by people that can't cope with life. How are you going to handle that? I can tell you exactly what, exactly what to do. You just keep working on that ark. You keep working on that salvation. Because as sure as the judgment did come in Noah's day and he was saved, there is coming a point in your life and in my life where we are also going to be delivered out of this world. When it will happen, I cannot tell you. I can only tell you it will happen. Nobody was expecting Christ to come when he did, but he came. And when he, when he was born in Bethlehem, the citizens of Bethlehem had no idea he was there. The people in Israel had no idea he was there. Herod brought in all of his wise men and magicians. They pulled out all their prophecy charts. They had no idea that the Savior was going to be born right there in Bethlehem. But there he was crying and being nursed by a mama. And the same way he came, one day he's going to return and this world is going to wind up. And when that occurs, it's going to be a good day. Oh, my, it's going to be a good day. Praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm going to serve God even if the entire generation decides they don't want to serve the Lord anymore. If nobody else in Hebron ever wants to believe in God again, I'm going to keep believing in God. If nobody else in Thayer County wants to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to try to do my best to hold fast. If everybody in Nebraska says I'm turning my back on Jesus, are you going to join me? I'm just going to have to wave Goodbye. If everybody in America says, I don't believe in the Bible anymore, we want to remove all the Bibles from people's homes and we don't want anybody talking about God at football games or in the public space, then I'm just going to hold fast to what the scripture says and I'm still going to find me a corner and pray in Jesus' name. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that your word is true. We covered a lot of ground. and We said a lot of things. God, if anything, please allow us to remember this one thing. That faith has to do with us living our lives out every day in front of our neighbor and in front of our family members. So God, we honor you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.